Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all again. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I um, have a time of worship with the Lord where the Holy Spirit is just speaking to me, and you're feeling convicted, and you're feeling uplifted, and you get ready to teach, and then you get up here, and you're like, all right, well, amen. I will see you all next week. The Lord was speaking. See you next Sunday. But not today. I'm really sorry. I know post some of you probably got really excited thinking I was done talking already. But um, it is good to see you all again. I have been out of town, and I'm actually kind of excited that we're getting to this point in the year again. Dan mentioned it's hot outside, but I was born and raised in the desert, and so to me, it feels like a warm hug. Like, kind of like when you open up the oven and you get cookies and the 600 degrees comes out of the oven and hits you in the face. I like that feeling. Like I was on vacation, and I was, um, we went back east to go visit some friends and take some time off, and um, it was dropping down into the 60s, and, and Missouri and our friends from Ohio were all in tank tops and like shorts, and I was wearing a sweater because it was 60, and I was like, we're in triple digits, so 60 to me is freezing. I don't put shorts on until we hit triple digits, like 95, I could still wear jeans. But it is really good to be back and to see everyone. And if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 86. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning. And I was smart enough to not put a marker in that. Excuse me. Does anyone else sing the Bible song in their head? <laughs> Who grew up in Sunday school? Who grew up in Sunday school? Do you guys still sing the Bible song in your head when they like turn to Psalms and you're like, where is that? And you're like, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, two, Or is that just me? I, I have to sing the Bible song. So Psalm 86, I'm going to pray and uh, we can get started. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word and I thank you for all that you've done and given us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would please come and you would please stir my heart, Lord, that you would stir our hearts. Lord, that there would be something in your word today. Lord, you said your word will not return void. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show us something in your word that you need us to hear today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Psalms 86 is a psalm of David. It is a prayer for mercy with meditation and the, on the excellence of the Lord. So this is a psalm where David is praying. And I know that's nothing kind of new. If you spend time in the psalms, after a while you start thinking like, how can I be creative and new? Because this is another psalm where David is depressed and crying out to God. And it's like, how many different angles can I come at David's depressed and crying out to God? In Psalm 86, verse 1, he says, Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the, rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call on your name. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attendance to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you and you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, and with all my heart. 
and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save your son, in the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So we spend a lot of time in, in Psalms talking about David and the things that David went through. And one of the things that I really like about David I like looking at David as a person is that the Bible does not shy away from his triumphs and does not shy away from his failures. And I feel like you get a good, complete picture of a real man, right? I know we tend to glorify our superheroes. You tend to glorify heroes. And we tend to even put a lot of other Christian guys on a pedestal, right? We tend to lift up those in a church. We tend to lift up those in a movement. I don't like calling out people by name, but there have been several podcasts that have talked about pastors who have who have failed there's a new documentary on amazon about a movement and a family that gained a lot of popularity and the failings in those families and it's not great to call out the failures in other people but what i like is that it shows you hey yeah here's a guy you put on a on a pedestal but here's what his life really looked like it wasn't as put together as it seemed on television it wasn't as put together as it was on a pulpit and that's why I really like looking at the life of David, because I, feel, I feel like I can relate to him. You know, the Lord used him to do things, but he also had, he struggled a lot with depression. He struggled a lot with anxiety. He struggled a lot with failure. And so I don't want to, like, put David down, but one of the things that I really love about looking at the life of David is you get a picture of what a, what the, who the man really was, right? He wasn't just all the things that was wonderful, he was also all the struggles and shortcomings that he had to lean on God for. And so I was thinking to myself, like, okay, how am I going to emulate David? I want to emulate David. I want to emulate the good characters in David because we see one of the best kings that the nation of Israel ever had. He was probably the singular best king that the nation of Israel ever had. Right? We, see a lot of th we saw a lot of good things in Solomon and a lot of bad things, in, or Saul. We see a lot of good things in Solomon. Solomon was the wisest king that Israel ever had. And boy, man, what a cool title that would be, like to be the wisest person that ever did something. He was the wisest man. So I was looking at David and say, okay, Lord, what are some things about David's life that I really want to emulate? And one of the things that I noticed at the beginning of this psalm is he talks a lot about prayer. And if you look through the book of Psalms, you look through the book of Kings, you look through the book of Chronicles, you see David's prayer life constantly. The Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. That he had the same heart God does. He had some failures in some area. He was human, but he had the same heart that God does. He's like, this guy and I are on the same page. We get the same thing. And the, one of the things that stuck out to me is you see David in prayer constantly. And the, he had a healthy prayer life. He had a healthy prayer life. And one of the things that I love about this psalm um, is you see him crying out to God. You see him to cry out to God for help. So actually, there is a, there is a poem by these two famous British poets. They work together. 
and they put together a poem. I just got a snip of it, but I feel like it really encapsulates David's heart. So if we can get that poem real quick. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down, and I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground, won't you please, please help me. I know what is going to be on everyone's Spotify playlist on the way home from church. Everyone's going to be listening to the Beatles on the way home from work. Won't you please, please help me? In fact, this is one of the things I think is one of my favorite games that I used to play with people, especially when we got involved in youth ministry. Um, is this a worship song or is this somebody singing about their girlfriend? Because there's some worship groups you can't tell, and there's some love songs that if you're like, this is about Jesus, you're like, oh man, yeah, that is about Jesus. Right, so was it a worship or was it, is it worship or is it a love song? And I felt like, honestly, that that, that point right there, that part of the Beatles song, help, really kind of puts into perspective where David is right now. He's crying out to God, and he's just like, God, help, I need you, I need somebody, and won't you please, please help me. And that's kind of a theme throughout David's life. Right? When you look, I, I like it when he goes and David kills Goliath and David, and he's going to kill Goliath. He goes and sees Saul. Everyone's afraid to fight Goliath. And to be fair, David is a very short, very young, very skinny, pimply faced teenager. And Goliath is a nine foot tall man that's been killing people since he was a teenager. And so like, in all honesty, I could see why, like, even as a grown man, I don't want to fight that guy. He's nine foot tall. It said like his, his spear, the shaft of his spear was like that big around. The shaft of his spear, and he could palm it and throw it like a spear. Like, well, I don't want to fight that guy either. And, but when he was going to Saul, and he said, I'll fight him. And Saul's like, you're too little. He's like, no, but you don't understand. God's already helped me. God's already helped me. I have killed bears. I have killed wolves. I have killed Goliaths. I have killed lions. What's this? Who's he? I've already killed things that can kill him, and the Lord's protected me. David spent his time out in the fields praying and singing worship songs to God, uniting him with his heart with God, and then he saw over and over again how God would answer those prayers over and over and over again, because I'm pretty sure he had the same prayer when the lion came, and when the wolf came, and when the bear came to steal the sheep from his flocks, as Lord help, <laughs> Lord help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And the Lord continued to help him and bring him through. And so now he's got answered prayers to look back on and said, hey, look, here's where I've been in trouble. And here's how God has already answered my prayers. What's it to God to answer my prayer again? What trouble is it for him to be there for me again? He learned from his youth that God would answer his prayer. When he was in his middle years, right, after he killed Goliath, and then he joined Saul's army, and then he was Saul's son-in-law, and Saul used him mightily. God used him mightily, and they said, David is, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul was on the run, or David was on the run because Saul wanted to kill him. And you see, I'm guessing, we're not sure, but this, is, this might be where, where David was. There were a lot of different times in his life where David was on the run, and people were trying to kill him, but he can look back and say, like, okay, Lord, You've brought me through this before. 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 
he had a pattern that God had already been answering his prayers, and that's what he's leaning on. It says, bow down your ear to me, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. I love the fact that right here you see the first thing is that David is turning to God. He said he's got a problem right now, and the very first thing that David does is he goes to God, and that is usually my very opposite response in my own life. The first thing that happens when something goes wrong in my life is how am I going to fix it? Like, what, what am I going to do? What's my plan? Right? We, when, when I do work in construction, we got to have something. We, they make us fill out this paperwork, and they call it a job hazard analysis, a JHA. What are all the things in this task that I'm supposed to do that could go wrong and hurt me and hurt someone else, and what's the plan if the bad thing happens? Like, what's the plan here? So, like, okay, well, we're working, and there's, there's an edge. We're working on the second, we're working on the roof of a building. Well, we could fall off. Okay, so we're going to have a plan, and we're going to put it in place of how we're not going to get close to the edge and how maybe I'll wear a harness. What are the other hazards? So we put together these plans of things that we're going to do. When I, was on, when I was on a ship, I was part of a firefighting team, and they said, okay, here are the plans, and we're going to practice this plan every two weeks of what are we going to do if there's a fire what are we going to do if we start, if we hit something and we start taking on water and we would practice how we would seal up the side of a ship if there was water that was coming in? If the laundry room caught on fire, what circuit breakers are we going to turn off? Where's the nearest fire extinguisher? Where's the nearest fire hose? And so we've got a plan in place so that when something goes wrong, you can just react with, here's the plan. You don't even have to think about it. Here's the plan. And I find so often with everything in my life, What's my plan? What's my plan? What's my plan? And I realized after a while I've executed a plan that I never asked God if that was his plan. I never stopped to ask, Lord, what do you want in this? And I'm not saying if there's a fire, we should stop and pray about the fire before we fight in the fire extinguisher. Like, that, I mean, they're co common sense. But I find so often, you know, when the transmission went out in my truck and now it's like an extra six grand holy cow transmissions are expensive these days like okay well like what's the plan how am i going to get my transmission fixed where's the money coming from how am i going to rebudget for this you know what bills am i going to what are we going to have to do how i'm going to juggle this how am i going to get the kids to school and me to work and we usually use two cars and you start putting together a plan of like all right lord how am i going to deal with this and this and this and this and this and i don't put god into it first I don't stop and think like, okay, Lord, my transmission went out. What is it you want me to do? And how are we going to fix my transmission? He would go to God first and then go to the plan after that. And that was one of the things that I really appreciated working on the ship is we worked with some guys who were very godly men. And before every meeting and before every plan, we would stop and pray. All right, Lord, this is the problem that we're having. Uh, you know, we've got parts that we need to fix the ship. Containers are stuck in customs. We need you to move them. What's the plan, Lord? How are we going to move them? Lord, we're going we're gonna to set sail soon, and, and we know you're a big God, so we want you to go in this plan before we start to formulate it. What's your plan before we even get started? And would you direct us? I love seeing here that David, first and foremost, is getting before God and saying, Lord, I have a problem would you bend your ear down and listen to me? Be there for me, O God. Preserve my life, for I am poor and needy. 
So I'm thinking about David's prayer life. And the next thing that I notice in verse one that I really like is he said, I am poor and needy. David recognized who he was and what he needed. You know, I can imagine that being the king of a country that you're not very poor most of the time. And I have never lived, I have never been subject to a monarchy, but I, I, I know that especially in old times like this, that they were the total and final authority on everything. They were judge, they were jury, they were executioner, they were lawmaker, there was no, they were the parliament, they were Congress, they were it. And what they said went. You know, I've heard um, some, of, some of my friends told me one time that it was, it is hard to come to Christ when you've been when you are older and when you've been in something like the military and now you're in a high position of authority it's hard to remember sometimes what it is to be under authority it's like i at like i remember someone telling me the one time that like hey whatever i tell people they do there's not a question they do it because i told them to because that's the rule you do what i say when i say how i say when i say jump they would ask them how high and so I can imagine for David to recognize the state he was in, that yes, he was the final authority, he was God, he was king, he needed God's authority, he needed God's protection. He's like, God, this is a problem that is bigger than me, and I need you first. He said, I am holy, and not because he was holy, but because of what God had done, what God had done for him, he was holy. Not because David managed to keep all the rules perfectly, but because, especially in the Old Testament, because of the sacrifices David offered, he was holy. Right? I think about that now as a Christian. I am holy, not because of the things that I do, but because of whose blood covers me, I'm holy. So he's like, man, I am poor and needy, but I am also holy because of what you've done. And there's kind of an interesting duality about that. We have nothing outside of God. We've got nothing outside of God. God says that I hold the very breath in your lung. He holds everything together. So I think to myself when I think about, like, am I poor and needy? I remember this story that, um, and it's been told and retold so many times that I can't even remember who initially told it, but there was somebody in England in the 1600s who saw a group of men being led to the gallows to be hung. Right? They were going to be executed, and somebody was looking down and sneering and talking about these men who are leading to be executed, and this pastor said, yeah, but by the grace of God, there would I be. Like, I ain't no better. I am, by the grace of God, I am here and not there. And I realized, man, for a lot of times, I can kind of get a little high and mighty about some of the things in my life, and I realize, you know what, by the grace of God, I've never gotten in, into trouble. It's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's because of the pure and utter grace of God mentioned it before, but I, um, I have some friends who had some really good testimonies, who had some very impactful testimonies because of they had very hard things in their life. I was, a, I was one of three youth pastors for a while at a church, and this youth pastor, one of the youth pastors, a good friend of mine, John, was a gang member, and he helped formulate a gang. And the other youth pastor, my buddy Mike, who, was, who knew more about the Bible than I ever would, was a drug dealer for about five, six years. And these men had great testimonies about how God had radically changed their life, right? They were going, and then they made a hard right, 
and went in the complete opposite direction. And it is amazing the transformation that God made in their life and how God used them mightily and raised them up. And I used to be kind of like, yeah, and at the age of four or five, you know, I gave my life to the Lord and he saved me from um, talking back. And I'm pretty sure I was a biter at one point. I probably did that. I don't have an impactful testimony. I was pretty clean cut growing up. And I realized, man, it's by the grace of God, he kept me from things, not because I was better, not because there was anything special about me. It was purely by his grace that there I did not go. And he goes and talks about being holy because now God is holy. The holiness that God was given to us can cover the guilt and shame of things that we have done Right. The other thing that I've done is the other thing that is kind of a bummer about being saved at such a young age is that all the really stupid and the really sinful things I have done, the older I got, because everyone does stupid and sinful things, I've done as a believer. Right. I had friends that like, man, at least he had an excuse. He didn't know Jesus. The stupid, sinful things I did is uh, I did knowing full well that I was in sin and shouldn't have done it. And God's forgiven that and God's covered it. I love it in. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, he says, um, really 9 through 10, Or do you not know the unrighteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, hom- those who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. And I love that part right there in verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were. Were. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a were. You were a were. And I know for a long time I carried a lot of guilt and shame about some things that i gotten involved in. And that guilt and that shame hung over me like... a like a shadow, constantly, all the time. Some of the stupid things I've done hung with a huge weight in my life. And I I was never one that really bought into, like, I need to learn to forgive myself. And I know there's some people that probably do, but that never sat well with me that I just need to learn to love myself. Because the Bible says I need to learn to love others and focus on other people. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't learn to forgive yourself. But one of the things that God eventually pointed out to me in my life is, hey, you are not what you did. You are forgiven for it. So that guilt and that shame doesn't need to sit in your life because that's not who you are, right? So if, you, if you're beating yourself up like, man, I used to be, I was, a, I was a drunkard, I was a swindler, I was a reviler, and that guilt and that weight sitting on you, God's saying, hey, man, that's who you were, not who you are. You can let that go. There's forgiveness for that. You're holy because what God has done and that shame and that guilt and that weight doesn't need to sit you sit on you anymore and the problem i find sometimes when you're talking about this is on the one hand i need to be broken over my sin and realize i need god's help and on the other hand there are times when i was so broken over my sin that's all i could think about was my sin my sin my sin and god was like hey man you need to let that go because i've already forgiven you for it it's done it's taken care of is that the bummer whenever you teach on something like this is that people usually hear one side or the other, and they never hear the side that they need to hear. 
right? So the people that you tell them like, hey, you need to be broken over your sin are usually the people that are carrying guilt and shame and pain and weight of something. And they don't hear the Jesus has set you free. And then the people that don't care about their sins and they're like, well, I'm just going to keep on getting drunk because I am free in Christ and I'm no longer a drunkard. So I'm going to keep walking with my sin and have a good time. And the right people never hear the right part. The wrong people always hear the right part. I remember it was really funny. I actually heard this one time. I heard a pastor talk about gossiping, and then I heard somebody gossiping about a person who was a gossip. Like, you, it shouldn't be funny, but it's funny. Like, you heard the wrong part. You heard? Like, did you not hear? You heard the wrong part. You were told not to gossip, and you gossip about a gossip. There's some people that hear that you need to be broken over your sin and repent, and you need to realize, man, you need to give your life to God, and you need to stop taking things out of God's hands and putting them in yours. And you realize, I need to be poor. I'm poor and needy. I need God. I cannot make it without him. And then there are some people here who are really going to need to hear, man, God's forgiven you. You need to let that go. You need to let it go. He goes on to say, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice, the soul of your servant. For you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those that call, that call on us. So David was broken over his sin. David realized that he needed God. David realized that, man, well, even though it's the Old Testament, they had the sacrifices that would, that would atone for you, that would... That would cover your sin until Jesus came, right? They had the Old Testament law, and they had the sacrifices. And now he's saying that, man, that after that comes the peace from God, knowing that you're forgiven. The peace that gets to come from God when you know you've given control of your life to God, and you've seen how God's taken care of you over and over again, the peace that comes from that is amazing. And Philippians 4, chapter 6 or chapter, four, or chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So you see, over and over again, David is calling and crying out to God for mercy, for forgiveness, for protection. And then he goes on, and the Lord gives him, he cries out to God for peace. Now the peace that comes in his soul, the peace that comes from forgiveness, the peace that comes from knowing you're in right standing of God. And there's a big difference between joy and happiness. I think David had a lot of joy he had a lot of peace in his life when there was not peace, if that makes sense. He could have peace of mind knowing that he was right before God. He could have peace of mind knowing he was not trying to steal the kingdom from Saul. He was accused of a lot of things, and that has to hurt. But I can imagine there is a lot of peace in your soul knowing you are innocent and you have not wronged people the way that people are talking about you. You have not wronged Saul. You have not wronged other people. You're not trying to take over the country. There is a peace in your life that comes out from crying out to God and knowing that you are innocent. And the peace, the Bible says, that passes that understanding. 
I don't know why I should have peace, but I've got peace, and knowing that you're innocent. Kind of reminds me, I was talking to a friend of mine a while back when I lived in California, and he was a, he, he was a, he did security at a large church that I went to, and he was a really great guy, really wise man who had been in law enforcement for 25, 30 years, and he had done just about everything there was to do in law enforcement. He was a bicycle cop for a while. He was a canine cop. He was a narco- He worked in narcotics. He worked in um, high-risk warrants. He would go serve warrants to people. He worked in SWAT for a long period of time. He worked in, uh, he said one of the most fun things he ever did, though, was working in Grand Theft Auto, where they would pretend, like, they would, uh, they would arrest people for stealing cars, and they would set up little scenarios, and people would come steal the car, and then he would, and he's like, it was great. I, wore, I got to wear board shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops every day and drive a really cool Camaro, and it was awesome. And he was telling me one time they, um, they were setting up a bait car at a local university, and what they would do is they had this brand new sheriff's deputy who was 21, or 21, 22, but she looked like she was 17, just a really young, thin, young-looking sheriff's deputy, and so she looked like she could have gone to school there. And so what she would do is she would come and she would park this like Honda Civic at the school because a lot of people were stealing Hondas at the time. And then her boyfriend would come by and they would get into an argument about something and she would get in the truck and they would drive off and they would leave the keys in the car. And then inevitably somebody would come steal the car and they had this really cool button in another car where they would push this button and it locks all the doors, it disables the windows and it turns off the ignition. So there's no arguing this. You're locked in a car you're not supposed to be in. And he said it's really kind of funny because they will, pull, they will turn off the car and you can see people like banging on doors and windows and trying to unlock it. And they, they pull up and they said, oh, yeah, the girl, the girl told me to move her car. The, what, what girl told you? Well, the, the blonde girl told me to the car. Oh, Officer Hannigan. Hey, Officer Hannigan. Did you, did you, no? Yes, no, she didn't ask you to move the car. You're just, you're just under arrest. Right? And they said it, it worked out really good until one time they made the, uh, they made the altercation seem, seem a little too real. And, and the, the other sheriff's deputy that grabbed her by the hand and threw her in the truck, well, they thought she was getting kidnapped, so they called the police. So then the more police came to arrest the police that were trying to arrest other. <laughs> turned into a thing, but he said, yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. Why am I telling you about Jack? Jack was a great guy, but because Jack had been in law enforcement for so long, when somebody, whether it was in a police department, a sheriff's department, a special investigator, when somebody had to shoot someone in the line of duty, when there was a cop that had to shoot somebody in the line of duty, they said only like, only like 30% of cops will go back to work. The weight that it, and the toll that it takes on somebody for taking another human life, even if it was completely justified, they said is so hard on people most of them will quit and never come back. And they'll actually put them on suicide watch for a little while. And so they would call, they would call my buddy to come, they're like, hey, we got, a, we got a police officer from this city over here, can you come talk to him? And he said, even if it was completely justified, like he shot somebody else and he pointed a gun at you and you were 100% in the right, he said the weight of knowing what you've done took such a heavy toll on people they would quit. And so when I think about sometimes the peace that passes all understanding, I realize there are some people here that have such a weight 
on their mind and the weight of things that they did or were done to them weight of things that you are carrying that man you really need that peace of god to come and say god i cannot carry this anymore i need you to take this weight from me so man that, that that's something i'm thinking about he's crying out to god i need your peace and that passes all understanding god is ready to forgive anyone he said god you are ready to forgive you are ready to be there and you are ready with abundant mercy to all those who call on you God is ready to forgive. And I know even sometimes, too, that could be a really hard thing, knowing that someone else is forgiven for things that they have done. For, for a while, I was involved with a camp. It was a really cool camp, a, a Christian camp that would minister to those that were, in the, that were in the system, that were usually abused and neglected in the foster system. And so we would go to this Christian camp for people that were abused and neglected and in the foster system, and they would share stories about how they ended up there, and it was completely and utterly heartbreaking. And I can tell you some of the most, the people I think in some, that have impressed me the most is meeting a teenager and listening to where they have come from and what they have gone through. And they said, but you know, Jesus forgave me, so I learned how to forgive this person. Not, I'm never going to go back into their lives. The court said they're never allowed to come near me again. But I have learned to forgive these people. And I can tell you, I really, really wrestled with the idea that that guy is forgiven. If he cries out to God, that guy is forgiven. So I know sometimes the idea of being forgiven can be a hard thing to hold, a hard thing for some people to hold on to. And David is saying, like, man, you got to let it go. Lord, you are gracious. And so the thing that gives me hope in that, though, is, man, if God can forgive, if these kids can forgive, then I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I can be forgiven. He goes on to say, give ear, O my Lord, to my prayer and attend the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call on you and you will answer me. Among the gods, there is no one like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. So, man, now David has confessed his sin. David has realized where he's come from. David realizes he needs God. David realizes that God has justified him. Right? He's saying that, God, you are so quick to forgive everyone. And now he moves on and he's praising God for who he is and God's nature. He's saying, God, there is no one like you. God, no one can do anything that you can do. Even among the other gods, there's no other God that can come close to my God. Even the gods of all the other nations, you alone, O Lord, there are no works like yours. And I found in my own prayer life sometimes that the, I, I go to God like an ATM, or I go to God like a, like a laundry list, like a honeydew list, like, okay, God, I need this, and I need this, and watch over this person, and do that person, and I treat God almost sometimes like a honeydew list, and I never really stop, and that was something the Lord kind of convicted me of the other day. He's like, man, David is stopping and praising God for who he is, 
And I realized that, man, a lot of times I go to God and I've got a list of things that I need to get done and I try to be efficient because I'm a busy person, got lots of stuff going on, so I'm going to be efficient with the Lord and I'm going to be efficient with the Lord's time. And the Lord doesn't necessarily want efficiency from me. The Lord wants time with me. And I realized I don't always stop and think about who God is and what God's done for me. So like, man, I need to spend time praising and worshiping God in my prayer life for who he is. God, thank you for the things that you've done. Lord, thank you. I got my truck figured out, fixed, and we're back on the road. We're moving again. Lord, thank you for the time you've helped me out. Lord, thank you for giving me wisdom and insight into work problems. Lord, thank you for being gracious. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. He takes time to praise and worship God. He said, goes on in verse 11, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truths. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. I love that part right there at the beginning of verse 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truths. I need the Lord to teach me how I need to obey him. I need the Lord to teach me how to be a better husband. I need the Lord to teach me how to be a better friend. I need the Lord to teach me how to pray better. You know, that was one thing that, um, that somebody told me once that's always kind of stuck me with prayer is that I don't even always know how to pray. So I've, I've asked the Lord, to, Lord, teach me what to pray for. Lord, I know I need to pray today, but Lord, what do I need to pray for? Lord, can you show me how to pray better? Lord, can you show me how to study your word better? Lord, can you show me how to be a better disciple, how to be a better Christian, how to be a better neighbor, how to be a better friend? I need the Lord to teach me how to love him more and how to walk in his truth. And he said, unite my fear, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. The other part about this, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to be quick, quick. And in fact, I think I'll even end with this. So often when I come to God in prayer, it's because I want things in my life. I need things done. I've got transmissions that need fixing. I've got trips that are coming up. I've got bills to pay. I've got kids. I've got a wife. I've got jobs. I've got, I've got more jobs than I can work sometimes. There's more things that work wants done than it's possible to do in a 12-hour day. So you're going to God with a lot of things, and you're asking God. I ask God quite often, like, can you change my circumstances? Can you change my circumstances? Can you change my circumstances? And I realize so often that God does not necessarily want to change my circumstances he wants to change me. And the other thing I notice for so often is that prayer for me is not always changing God's mind about something, but prayer is often changing my heart to be more in tune with what God wants. See, a few years ago, I probably would have been praying, Lord, give me a new truck because this one's old and the transmission's going out. So I need a new truck. Lord, please bring me a new truck. I want to afford a new truck and drive something cool. And the Lord was like, no, Justin, how are we going to figure it out for you to keep driving your truck? You don't need a brand new one. You just need a car that can get you back and forth to work. So we're thinking about the life of David. And I'm thinking about David's prayer life. And if we keep going through the book of Psalms, you realize, I don't know how, what percentage of them is David's prayer life. And in his ups and downs in life and hard things, David is first and foremost crying out to God 
and spending time with the Lord. As we're getting ready to move into a time of communion, that's something that I kind of want to, I was kind of thinking about. As we're coming to a time of communion, I was thinking about my, my prayer life. And I know for me personally, and this might apply to you, something to think about when we move into communion is that sometimes I'm a little guilty of forgetting my need for God because things are going good and the Lord's been there for me so many times that I'm just like, okay, how am I just going to fix my life? How am I going to fix it? And I stop and I don't really, or I don't really stop and ask like, hey, Lord, I need you to fix it. I need you to do this. There's a lot of times in my life where I'm getting right with the Lord and um, the devil doesn't like it and he brings up sin, right? And all of a sudden, guilt and shame of things that the Lord has forgiven me for comes back into my life. And I need to learn to let that go. Like, Jesus said you're forgiven. You don't need that anymore. And finally, there's also, there's also a lot of times in my life where I'm asking the Lord, like, Lord, can you even show me what I need to confess that I don't even know. I'm so good at sinning that sometimes I can do it with my eyes shut without even thinking. I'm that talented. So as we're getting ready to move into a time of communion, this would be a good time to pray and ask the Lord, like, God, can you show me where I am with you? Lord, do I need to, do I need to put you back on the throne? Do I need to be poor and needy and come to you realizing that, Lord, I am broken and I'm in need of you? Am I holding on to sin and shame and, and guilt and the Lord's already forgiven you for it? And you're like, Lord, I need to give this over to you because you said it's done and you said I'm forgiven and I need to let it go. And if you're not sure, then maybe, maybe you should pray and say, Lord, thank you for who you are. And if there's anything that I'm not even aware of that I need to give to you, I want you to tell me, and then you can take it. And so if I can have those who are going to help me serve come, come forward.